This is Andrew Cook, one of the producers from the Grace Baptist Mission radio team. Some of you will know that our family life is affected by disability as our eldest daughter suffers from a condition called Rett syndrome. During a sabbatical a couple of years back, I was able to do some work around disability, the gospel and church life. What you're about to hear is an ongoing project bringing together some of the things I was able to look into during that time of study. So hello and welcome to the Additional Needs podcast, episode three with me, Andrew Cook. Yes, it's been a long time since the previous episodes. Uh, What we're going to do is just pick up on my conversation with Mark Arnold of Urban Saints, where he's the Additional Needs Ministry Director. We've said that uh, a lot of the the additional needs equals long-term situations. And when you turn up or when you're there week by week at church, I think people can become over-familiar. How do we deal with that? How do we address that? How do we allow ourselves not to become over-familiar with a particular situation? Yeah, and I think that's really important because people's needs uh, will change as well. Their disability or or condition, whatever it might be, will remain perhaps as a lifelong condition. But the way that it affects them, uh, the things that they're able to do or not do will vary. There may be periods when they can do more. There may be then periods where they can do less and, and perhaps need more support. So I think that specifically for uh, an individual it's about continuing and and intentionally continuing to look to engage them in those conversations around how they're doing uh, from a pastoral point of view engaging with them but then continuing to look for opportunities to to serve and to get alongside and, and help generally across the church as a whole it's about continuing to raise awareness of the reality that many in our congregation uh, will have additional needs or disabilities. Certainly amongst children and young people, it's statistically it's one in five that have some kind of additional need or disability. When we get into adult congregations, obviously there can be acquired conditions and disabilities that, that come on through age, etc. as well. So it's a big ministry area for us to make sure that we focus on it. It's also a big mission area as well. When you think that less than one in 10 families that have a child with an additional need or disability engage with church at all in in any way, and that includes things like some of the uniformed organisations that that meet in churches too, those families are all in our community around us. So there's a huge uh, mission opportunity there as well. Yeah, that's, that's an extremely important point, I think. I've previously mentioned a book that has helped me a lot in thinking about disability and how this fits in with the Bible's story. That book is called Disability and the Gospel by Michael Beatties. And in the following clip, I read a quote, which is the author's comment on the healing of Bartimaeus from Luke chapter 18. While these accounts are a challenge to church leaders, they also serve as an encouragement to those who live in brokenness and disability. Jesus wants such people in his kingdom and his church. No matter how difficult or awkward it may be, my word of encouragement is 
go to church, show up and allow your presence to be used by God to make the church what he intends for it to be. And that's absolutely the right message. It reminds me of a, you know, another disabled person that Jesus encountered, a very well-known story of the, the man who ends up being lowered through the roof. The story commences with the man and his friends coming to meet Jesus, to hear Jesus. And of course, when they get there, they can't get in. It's full. And so they end up on the roof, taking the roof apart and, and lowering the man down. And, and again, like with the story of Bartimaeus, what Jesus does is something that nobody else uh, was expecting because Jesus looks beyond the man's disability and looks at the person and his relationship with that person. And the most important thing that Jesus sees in that person isn't his disability, but his faith. As we know, the story continues with Jesus then telling him that his sins are forgiven because of his faith. And he only then subsequently goes on to heal the man and give him the ability to, to walk again when he's challenged about his authority to forgive sins. Uh, for Jesus, that was the most important thing. The man's eternal salvation came first and his ability to walk was secondary to that. Again, that's quite a good message for us to think about when we're engaging with people with additional needs or disabilities of, of any age. It's actually, how can we help them to encounter Jesus? How can we share the gospel uh, message with them? How can we enable the Holy Spirit to work in their lives? to bring them to faith. And all the rest of it is, is really important, but, but none of it is as important as that of, of actually their eternal salvation and um, putting that first. And of course, the other key passage there is John 9, where mm. there's that question, why was this man born blind? Was it because his parents sinned? Yes. And Jesus says he was born blind so that the works of God might be displayed, so that God might be glorified. Firstly, he, he heals him, mm. but then later he's challenged by the the religious leaders mm. he bows down and worships jesus absolutely and of course that message is a message that we really need to hear today as well because two thousand years later there is still the wrong teaching that somebody with a disability or additional needs has that disability because of something they've done wrong or perhaps something their parents have done wrong you know that's a widely held belief, which Jesus in that passage absolutely dismisses and says, that no, it's nothing to do with anything he's done or anything his parents have done. It's so that the glory of God could be revealed. And, uh, and yeah, that's still very much the case today. What's your response to people within the church? I'm talking the church generally here, who, when they see somebody with a, a physical or a mental disability, their immediate response is, Let's pray for healing. How do you deal with that? How do you address that? Yeah, it's a really important question. And again, it's one that's key to a lot of the response that people have to disability today. Can God heal? Does God heal? Yes, absolutely. Uh, I completely believe that. I've seen examples of that um, myself. Does God heal every time? No. Is it wrong to pray for healing? Well, no. If the person asks for, for prayer... And, and and seeks that. There's nothing wrong in that. Um, where it can then become difficult is if that becomes a continual thing, an unwelcome thing, 
where people are brought to the front of church and prayed over time and time again. Sometimes it's then interpreted that they're not being healed or that their child isn't being healed is perhaps because of a lack of faith. Again, completely unscriptural, but but very much a, a view that's out there. I think it also depends on the person and the condition that they've got. So James was diagnosed uh, with autism when he was two and a half. At that time, did I pray that James would be healed from his autism? Yes, I did. Looking back at it, I think I was probably praying that prayer out of selfish reasons, that actually I was thinking, why why our child? Why James? Why us? Why me? Please, God, take this all away. Do I pray for James to be healed from his autism now? No. James's autism is part of who he is. If his autism disappeared today, he would be a completely different person and he wouldn't be James. Do I pray that the way in which autism can be hard for James might be eased? Yes. You know, so I pray that James would be able to communicate better. I pray that the epileptic fits he have wouldn't do any lasting harm to him. And I think it's fine to pray for those things. But sometimes healing is granted and sometimes it's not. And I think if it's not, we have to accept God's will in that and God can use that person in amazing ways and and so his glory can be revealed as we were just discussing and in his will and wisdom we have to accept that that's the way things are. We have touched on this, but what does exclusion for additional needs families look like in churches? Where does this sort of thing come from? I think there can be a wide range of ways that that churches can either directly or indirectly exclude families, children, young people or adults uh, where there are additional needs or disabilities. Uh, The more deliberate end, there are stories I've encountered of people that are told that this isn't an additional needs church and therefore this isn't a place for you. I heard recently of uh, an eight-year-old and five-year-old who were told by their Sunday school teacher, so it wasn't the parents, it was the children themselves were told that they were no longer welcome in Sunday school and that they wouldn't be able to come anymore. So deliberate things like that, which can be appalling. I've heard of young people turned away from joining a children's club in a church because they were told that they would be a health and safety risk. So those sorts of things, terrible stories, but all very much examples of of what happens across the country. Through to the perhaps less deliberate, but nevertheless just as difficult things, like as we talked about earlier, having words to things on a screen that uh, you can only read if you've got good eyesight and aren't dyslexic. These days, most churches will have adhered to the requirements for ramps and wide doors and disabled loos and all of that kind of thing. But but even that can still be problematic. The times that I found the disabled toilet is the cleaning cupboard. Uh, it's just full of, of supplies, which means that uh, anybody with a wheelchair wouldn't actually be able to get in there and use it if they needed to. And again, just the language that's used, the, the way in which often disabled people are ignored, perhaps aren't greeted, or people are reluctant to speak to them because 
they aren't sure how to respond if, if somebody then starts talking about their particular condition or disability and a whole range of ways that, that that can then just leave people feeling that actually, you know, they're being excluded and they, they aren't welcome. And what about congregations themselves? How does what they do or their reactions, how does that form some kind of exclusion? There's a typical scenario, which I've witnessed lots of people that uh, I've spoken to have witnessed, and a story from a, a friend of mine helps to bring some context to as well. So the story is of a, a family with an autistic young person who can sometimes find things overwhelming in church and can very quickly go from being able to cope and manage to um, having a meltdown. And my friend refers to those moments when they occur as moments when all the meerkats become visible. Because when her son's having a difficult moment, suddenly all these heads will pop up and swivel round in unison and stare in the direction, you know, a real sort of purse-lipped, harsh stare, often accompanied by a tut, often accompanied by then a sort of stage-whispered comment, which is, Supposedly said to the person next to them, but it's said loudly enough so that the family three rows back can hear something about bad parenting or badly behaved children or you know, they wouldn't let their children behave like that, this, this sort of thing. And, and then the final stage is the, the smug look as the family try and drag their child out of the church so as not to you know, just be victim to all of this that's going on. And that happens all too often. You know, I've seen it happen. I'm sure many people have seen that too. And it needs leadership to to show a better way. You've described all that with a gentle smile on your face, but that's actually, when you're in that situation, it's really, really hard. Oh, it's, it's very difficult. And we talked earlier about how the best part of two-thirds of uh, children with additional needs or disabilities are bullied. You know, it's a form of bullying. What these families are experiencing is a form of bullying. And and that shouldn't be happening in our churches. We should be leading the way at being inclusive and accepting. And and actually, those harsh looks should be replaced with understanding. And the tuts and the bad comments should be replaced with, as we were talking about earlier, you know, offers of help and questions about how they can support and what does the family need right now that would be helpful for them. It's sad when you see those things happening in our church when actually you know we should be so much better than that and conversely what effect does that have on the additional need families themselves in terms of the way that they might then exclude themselves from church yeah i know families that have absolutely done that they've voted with their feet and they've decided that the way that they can be treated when things are going in a bit of a difficult direction for them means that they don't want to risk that happening and and them experiencing that reaction from some of, of their church congregation. So they will opt out that way. They may well share their experience with others and quite often people will be put off coming to church and bringing their, their own children uh, into church because they'll hear bad reports from others that say, oh, you know, we we had to leave because, you know, we were being stared at and comments were being made. And so it can have a knock-on effect. It can actually, one bad incident can really affect a wide number of people uh, because additional needs parents are often in touch with each other. You know, we're a, a little mini community 
because we get it. We understand what each other are going through. And so if something good's happening, we'll share that. If something bad's happened, we'll probably share that too. And um, people will be opting out. Taking all of that into consideration, what needs to happen to change that kind of culture? It's about leadership. Culture comes from the top. I love the phrase that culture eats strategy for breakfast. And it's true. You can set whatever strategies or plans you, you want, but culture is set from the top and is what defines how a church acts and behaves and, and operates. So it needs to be preached about, it needs to be led, um, and it needs people to maybe be trained and, and help to know how to, to be supportive. And then when those difficult times come and uh, members of the congregation are behaving inappropriately in their response, you know, then in gentleness and love, that needs to be called out and conversations had about, you know, we don't do that here. We're here to support and help families, especially in those times of crisis when they need us most and when, you know, the support and love of, of their church family uh, can be most helpful. That's what they need and they don't need the harsh looks and the tuts and the comments and all of that. So it, it really is about leadership and about continually reinforcing that. So it's not a sort of once off do a three part series on inclusion uh, and tick the box and then that's it. You know, it's something that needs to be come back to regularly to, to reinforce the message and help people to go on that journey. Trying to enable churches to be more inclusive rather than exclusive of families with additional needs somebody listening to this might think oh do we then become a single issue church are we at a church that then is seen as oh that's the church that does additional needs family how do we deal with that how do we address that i think an important message to bring to that is actually that a church that cares for and supports and nourishes the weakest the most vulnerable those who struggle the most in in lots of different ways is actually a better church for everybody when i'm running training sessions for children's workers for example and helping them think about strategies and ways of working with children with additional needs often the message is that actually this helps us to be better at what we do for every child that we're working with and so it's looking at, at a whole church uh, approach and so it's not a single issue thing it's it's allowing that particular area to grow our church as a whole and to bless our church as a whole as as we do that if we get it right for families with additional needs we're getting it right for everybody well it was good to reconnect with all this material after such a long interlude and there's enough for another episode of Chat with Mark Arnold. I think Mark would appreciate a mention of a new initiative that he's been involved with. It's called Invited to Belong, and it's a joint project between Youthscape and Urban Saints. There are also a couple of uh, new books to mention that I found helpful, but I think I'll save those for next time. If you have any comments, uh, you can find me on Twitter at akcook2004 or via the SoundCloud page also. AK Cook 2004. Thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs>